Welcome to the podcast of Encounter Ministries, where your past has no future and your hope is reborn. For more information, go to www.godenc.com. My wife and I are glad to be here with you as well. We, we missed you folks last week. Our original plans were to be out of town, but uh, uh, we weren't going to leave until well after service, but just situations were such that we couldn't get the right flight out, and we had some obligations in Tampa that we needed to do uh, Sunday evening. So we missed being here last week. Missed you folks. She and I had a good time together. I think it's important that couples take time for just them. And and I know I, I learned this a long time ago. For a pastor and his wife, there's never a good time. If you wait until there's no problems, you never get to go away. And uh, But we're glad to be here this morning. Would you stand and turn with me into your Bibles? I want you to go to a place with me for the next few minutes. And let's see if we can't re-encounter God there. Back in the book of Psalm chapter 137. I'm reading out of the King James Version this morning. Psalm 137 verse 1. They say this. By the rivers of Babylon, there, everybody say there, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof, for there they that carried us away captive required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Verse 4. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? The next few minutes, I want to talk about the two theirs in those four verses. Would you stretch your hands this way? Pray with me and for me. Father, my heart's desire as I stand in front of your people is to share your heart. Uh, long ago, God gave up the right to choose or to pick what I, what, I, what I share when I stand in front of your people. I simply ask you to put something into my heart, and I do my best to share that. And I, I thank you, God, that you are Lord, that your words are spirit and they are life, and they can be used for no other purpose. And so, Father, I just pray now that the releasing of your spirit to, to make known your word to our hearts this morning. And I thank you, God. For what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, church. You know, sometimes when people think about Satan, they ascribe to him certain attributes or abilities and make him almost godlike. They have this weird idea that he has infinite resources and that he is always present everywhere. We, sometimes they, they, they think that he is emotionless, that he is tireless, that he is all-knowing, and in reality, he's none of those things. He's limited to be in one place at one time. Tony Scott, pastor of a couple thousand member church in Toledo, Ohio, says, people talk all the time about Satan did this and did that to me. He said, I doubt that most of us ever encounter Satan. He can only be in one place at one time. Sometimes we think it's the devil. I had a friend that used to drive a junkie car. Can anybody relate to that? And 
And for weeks, the battery on his car was going bad. And he was the member of the worship team. He played the guitar, and you just have to know Dave. He just Dave was just Dave. And, and every time he'd get into his car, you know, he'd turn the key and he'd go, barely start. And I kept saying, Dave, you better get a new battery. One day, Sunday morning shows up, and they're getting ready to start service. Guess what? There's no Dave. Sunday night, he comes to church and wanted an opportunity to testify. He testified for a moment. He said, folks, I'm glad to be here tonight. The devil kept me out of church this morning. My car wouldn't start. I really want to say, I don't think the devil had squat to do with keeping you out of church. You knew for weeks that battery was going bad. The enemy is not omnipresent. He's not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. And here's the reality. He has emotions, much like you and I do. He has good times and bad times. He misses it. If he had known what they were doing when they crucified Christ, they never would have done it. He's not all-knowing. And he has difficult days. And just like we human beings, there, there comes a time when you need to get away for a while and and you need to regroup with God. And you need to, you know, in those quiet times with God, you get to know Him better and deeper than any other place you will ever go. I thank God when the Spirit of God moves and, and there's joy and shouting and the presence is, is palpable. But, but God is the one who said, be still and know that I'm God. The word know is an intimate word. It's, it's in the stillness and the quietness that you will get to know Him deeper than anywhere else. And I, I think that Satan remembers that. He remembers the times when, when he used to sit alone with God and draw from Him and feed off of that. And, and he is a being that, that can be touched by the same emotions that we have because... Because he's not all-knowing and he has bad days. Anybody in here ever had a bad day? You just need to escape just to get away? And I believe that he has bad days. I believe that his escape place is mentioned. And it says, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Children of God are looking back to a time when they used to have joy, but they, they don't have it anymore. And, 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 and now they've been taken to a place. You see, the enemy has place that he retreats to, to encourage himself. I believe that that place is a quiet place. I don't believe it's filled with rotten music. I don't believe it's filled with Images of murdered babies. I don't believe it's filled with wars. I don't believe that on the wall, you know, all of us have, or many of us have places we go where you have posters that encourage you or, you know, sayings that lift you up and you, you feed off of those. I, I think he has a place like that. And he, and he goes to that place. And, and in that place he becomes encouraged. He becomes reminded of the benefits of being who he is. And that place is not filled with music from the world. It's not filled with 
posters of death. It's not filled with wars. I believe that that place is filled with pictures of Christians. I believe he has, if you will, video memories of times in Christians' lives when they stood in an altar service and they committed everything to God. They laid in an altar and they gave it all up. They made a commitment to a fellow believer to do this and that. Or, or they re-gave their life back to God. Or they made a recommitment. Or they prophesied or testified to the whole world that God means everything to me. And he goes into that room and he sits down and he looks at a picture of that brother or that sister at that time when God was everything to them. God could say jump and on the way up they'd say how high. And then he looks at their life now. They've allowed sin to enter in. They've allowed selfishness. They've allowed greed. They've allowed pride. They've allowed lust. They've allowed bad doctrine. They've allowed ambition. They've allowed... And now, they are far removed from that time when they stood at an altar and gave their all to God. I believe he sits in that place and he looks at that picture and he says, sing me one of those songs. Go ahead. Do it now. Your God was everything to you. You had sold out to him. You gave him your all. And yet I introduced to you this opportunity and you swallowed it, hook, line, and sinker. And I not only took away your relationship with your God, I took away your passion. I took away your joy. And I get a bask in your silence. Used to tell people at your school about your God. Not anymore. I shut that program down. You used to tell people at your work. You used to pray with your family. You used to go up front during worship. You used to just lose yourself and abandon before God. Go with me now, he says, and sing me one of those songs. Sing me one of those songs way back there. And he points at your picture, that snapshot of your life when, when you said that God, that when we said that God meant everything to us. And now he says, now sing me a song. I've, I've piled on you rejection and hurt. I've piled on you sin. I've, I've tempted you and you've bought it. And where is your God now? I remember a number of years ago, for the second time, and in less than two weeks or about two weeks, I'm laying in a hospital bed because my heart is having problems that one of the finest cardiac hospitals in, in the state of Ohio couldn't tell me what was wrong with it. They simply told me, your heart just keeps stopping, and we don't know why it just keeps stopping. I'm no medical doctor, but I'm pretty sure you need your heart to beat to keep alive. That's what they tell me. Spent a number of days and 
tens of thousands of dollars. They couldn't fix anything. They didn't know what was wrong. They didn't know what to fix it, but you seem to be okay now, so they released me. A couple of days later, I'm back in there again. One of the low points of my life, but it was a low point with a lesson at the bottom, if I would learn that lesson. Because I I know a little bit about Satan's trophy room. Because everybody and anybody who lives for God, he is trying to put your picture up on his wall. And I believe that that incident was in part orchestrated to get my picture up on Satan's trophy room wall. I don't know about you. I don't. I don't. Only trophies I've bought, I've got have been given to me as gifts, <laughs> or I've bought them. I'll go to a garage sale and there's a trophy. The tag is loose. Price is right. I'll buy it. I feel bad about myself. I just look at my trophies. And for a moment, I can imagine I won that car race. There there was actually, there was a time the only trophy we had in our house. And it was actually rather pathetic because Gabriel was, I think, 18 years old about at the time. And the only trophy we had in our house was JJ's. And how old was he at the time? 11 months old? He's 11 months And he's got the only trophy in the house. It was from a diaper race at Walmart. Okay? And and he won. The only time we've ever enjoyed all that energy was right then. And so that was the only one we had, was this little baby with a diaper on. But Satan has a trophy room. And in that moment, that, that season of my life, when the doctors are telling me, we don't know why it keeps doing this. We can't make it stop. We don't have the answer. I learned later there was a demonic involvement there. But, but, but the second time as I laid in that hospital, my life is falling apart. I keep dying and they got to keep bringing me back and I, my heart keeps stopping and they got to re- keep restarting it. And they don't know why and they can't fix it. And, and, and I'm racking up money at the cost of $3,000 a day and I don't know where it's going to come from. And I don't have this. Gail Beth and one evening had left and gone home and it got dark and kind of quiet in the hospital. And in the midst of all that, I had a visitor. It was that night that I learned about this. And Satan or a spirit walked into that room and he, he asked me a question. Where is your God now? When everything in life is falling apart, where is your God now? I can't tell you what triggered something in my spirit, but he should have known better than to get into my face. Because something inside of me just rose up. And I said, I'll tell you where he is. He's right here. 
And I have no reason to believe that this is ever going to get any better. And I don't know how this is going to get solved. But this much I know. He's right here with me. Whether I feel him or not. And, and I believe at that moment, that moment, Satan lost a trophy from his trophy room. That moment, it got stopped. Somebody I once told that story and somebody said, well, tell us the end, what happened? I lived. But but God, God through prayer totally delivered me from that. Now my family and I are facing almost $60,000 in medical bills. You know what God did? Absolutely, positively. We didn't apply for a program. We didn't ask for a handout from any government. The, the, before I check out of the hospital, they tried to put me back in. They showed up with my bill. 60700 and some dollars. And they said, you know, you're going home today. We need to know what your plans are for this. Almost wanted to fake heart trouble again. Get that away from me. She said, I, you know what, I'll, I'll present this to the, 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 the department sometimes and people in your cases, they'll, 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 they'll knock something off and i got good news for you. Sometimes they knock 10 or 15% off. I wanted to say, oh good, I only owe you 48000 This ain't bad. A couple of days later, she called the house and she said, Pastor, when are you coming to the church or the hospital next? I said, actually, I'm coming today. I got to visit somebody. And she said, stop by my office. Went into her office and she said, I, we had something that I've never seen happen before. We, uh, every week I take those bills that, that are new and can't be paid and I put them on Erie Chapman's desk. He's the president of the hospital. And, and I ask him to look at these and, and he'll write, knock off 5% or knock off 10%. And, she said, but when I, I, I gave him your bill the next day, and then to, today when I went up there, he, he handed me these back, and there was knockoff five or knockoff ten. But he, he wrote something different on yours. I said, okay. And she said, he handed me the file and said, this goes away. And tell this family they're on status one with us for a year. And she said, I felt stupid. I had to say, okay, I'll, I'll do that. She said, I had to go back to my manual and look up status one because I didn't know what status one was. Status one was that all your previous medical bills are gone. And if you need anything from the hospital for the next year, it's free. And, and, and you see the enemy, he's so deceitful. He is so tricky. He wanted me to rejoice in the fact, listen to me for a moment, that if I ever needed the hospital for the next year, it was free. And I saw through the power of the Holy Spirit his deception. And I said, I won't be needing that hospital this next year. We didn't go back. Didn't have need to go back. And so Satan has this place where he, he sees the times when 
we're, we're all fired up about God and we're committed and we're passionate. But, but now we've lost something somewhere. He sits down in that room and he wants to look at a picture of me while I'm preaching about the divine healing of a God who can do anything. And then he wants to look at me in the hospital room and say, where's your God now? That's what I thought. Nowhere. He's left you and abandoned you like he has so many others. But he didn't hear that back. So there. You know what the reality is? There's two there's in these four, set, these four verses. There's the there of his trophy room. And there's the there of the people of God. And when the people of God are challenged... And the enemy has made a mess of our life. And listen, folks, in this world, you will have tribulation. There's going to be difficult times. There's going to be misunderstandings. There's going to be hurt. But with every one of those, there can be a victory. But these Christians, these people of God in this moment, the Israelites, they, they made a mistake. There they sat down. The Scripture never tells us to sit down except when we're in the presence of God. We are to mount up with wings as eagles. We are to run and not grow weary. We are to walk and not faint. Book in the New Testament says, but if all you can do is stand, then stand. But we are never to sit down on God. And they sat down. You sit down when everything is finished. We're not done yet. You sit down when you're tired. Maybe you need to replug in. Because we can mount up with wings as eagles. You sit down when you're defeated. You watch a football game when the, the offense is three three downs and back on the bench, they sit down. This week in playoffs, you saw two different quarterbacks adjust to the game differently. When one quarterback came out of the game because he hadn't been able to advance the ball, he sat down on the bench dejected. The other quarterback, when he came out of the game because he wasn't able to advance the ball, he went over and started looking at notes. Don't be one of those people that sit down dejected. Look at the notes. Where are we going from here, God? I'm not stopping here. My, my, my oldest son has got me involved in something that I've come to enjoy. He, he does backcountry hiking. It's really kind of crazy to do that if you think about it. We live in an advanced society and to, to, to drive out in the nowhere... And then start a hike further into nowhere doesn't make any sense. Especially when there's bear dung all over the place. And, and, and to drive and, listen to me, an hour after you lose cell phone coverage, you park the car and start hiking. And you, you get farther away from cell phone coverage. It's kind of intimidating at night to... We've got so used to help being right there, haven't we? And, and to get there in the middle of the night 
after hiking 10, 11 hours, to turn on your cell phone and have it say, searching for signal. And then after about a minute, it says, no signal found. And to know that if you get in Troy to get help is if there's somebody with you who's still able-bodied, they've got to hike 12 hours back out to get in a car and drive an hour to make a call so that those people can drive an hour, get out of their vehicle, and hike 12 hours back in to get you. And we, we, we walk on, they, they call them trails, but it isn't, you know, paved with markings and, and benches. It's, it's very easy to lose your direction. And, and occasionally there's little things that they call blaze. It's just a small wooden thing put on a tree, but it could be a half a mile or a mile between blazes. And, and so you're walking and you think that this appears to be probably, possibly the trail, and so you just walk and you, you anticipate hoping to see soon another blaze. And the Lord just spoke to my heart and said, he's going to set a blaze in somebody's life today to reassert, reassure you. But there were times when we would be hiking and you can almost, you know, I'm not talking during times like that. I'm trying to breathe enough to live. But, 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 but there's, there's, there's you, the, the, the sense is palpable. We've been walking for a while, and it's been a while since we saw a blaze. And pretty soon, he'll slow down, and he'll turn around. I said, you're thinking what I'm thinking. He said, yes. He said, how sure are you that we're still on the trail? I said, I'm not real sure. He said, I'm not either. Now, people do get lost out there, and they don't find them for days. And so we carefully just stop and reassess where we're at, and, and then we turn around and we go back to where we last saw blades that told us we were still on the trail. And then from there, we, we reassess and we look at it and say, okay, where, where does the trail go from here? And there are times that we realize we were right on the trail. And, and that's going to be God's word to some of you in the next few moments. But, but there were times when we'd go back to that place that we would look and say, okay, we, we left here and we went that way. But you know what? I don't know how we missed it. This is the way we should have gone. And, and these, these children of Israel, you see, they, they knew the place. They tell us that. We hanged our harps in the, upon the willow trees in the midst thereof, for there they that carried us away captive, verse 3, required of us a song. There. It, it went bad there. It, right, right there. I was on the trail until I got to here because I had a signpost, but now I, I lost it right there. Right there I lost it. Listen, people, God's speaking to people this morning. It was right there. You know, oftentimes with the enemy, it's not some big elaborate plan. It's just right right there. Right there you made a turn, and it was a bad turn. It was a relationship you should have never got in. It was a decision you never should have made. It was an attitude you never should have had. It was a habit you should have never picked. How I many you know what I'm talking about? It, it was a, a, a situation, and you can see that your life took a turn there. 
and it, it, it's right there that you you find it and you you, you fix it. It's you, you you can't go on. And if you're you're on the trail, running faster doesn't help. At no time did we ever stop and 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 agree that we're not sure where we're at. And maybe the answer is to run faster. Because we, we know where there is. His first name was Harvey. Well, long before your generation. He was 25, 30 years older than my wife and I. I was told that it used to be that anywhere he went, it was often standing room only. He was an evangelist in the Church of God. And my God, how God would show up. Just incredible. And the prophecies that went forth about who he was and his ability to communicate the Word of God and inspire people was just... But now when we, we learn of Harvey, we went to pastor the church and his, his children attended that church. Children, they're our age. And, and God kind of put Harvey on my heart. He's now a drunkard. His wife has passed away. She, and and he's, he's lost himself in alcohol. Life is an absolute mess, and God put him on my heart. And I used to go to visit him. I'd have to get there sometime before 11 o'clock in the morning because by 11 o'clock he was already downtown of the small town he lived near, and, and he was at the bar, and he was getting drunk. So if I didn't get there before 11, then it was usually hopeless. I'd go visit him, and he, he hated me coming over. Sometimes I'd have to knock on the door and I'd see him hiding behind the curtains and I'd knock some more and finally I'd just open the door and, Hey, Harvey, it's open. I'll just bring myself in. One day as I prayed, what do I say to Harvey today, God? God told me what to say to him. That day I went into Harvey's home and there he sat in his chair and He'd already been drinking in anticipation of 11 o'clock when the bars opened. And tried to talk to him, and he was more interested in what was on the television than talking to me. So I finally got up out of, off the couch, and I walked over and turned his television off. And I sat down on the floor in front of Harvey's recliner, and I looked up at him, and I said, Listen, man, you know, you know me. I'm new at this. I've only been preaching a couple of years. I want to ask you a question. I don't mean any offense, guy. Please don't take this any any way other than sincerely the heart of a seeker looking for some information. What do I do to make sure I don't end up like you? From what I hear, you started off well. I love you, man, but I, I don't... This, I don't want this to be the end of my life. What do I do to make sure I don't end up like you? And it was the most clear conversation him and I ever had. He snapped the lazy boy closed. He scooted forward. He leaned over. And he said, don't you ever quit talking to him. If you quit praying... You're going to die. I want to ask some of you right now. Do you need to go back to that place 
when maybe God told you this is what you need to do and, and you did something else, do you need to go back there and make sure that you're on the trail? Would you stand to your feet this morning? Mike, I need you to get some music ready. We're going to go a different direction right now. We're, do you need to go back to a place? Do you need to go back to a place? Listen, I, this, this is words of life I'm sharing with you. This is not condemnation. Do you need to go back to a place right now in the Spirit and, and say to God, hey, I blew it right there. Do you, do you need to go back to a place where you, you get reminded that you were on the trail here, but when you left here, you took a wrong turn? Do you, do you need to go back to a place? Because, see, I, I, I read this verse... And you know, the, the, the ministry that God has given me is, is and my wife has been a, a ministry of restoration. Our heart is for those people that once had something with God and, 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 and they've lost it or what they had was never genuine. John was called into the ministry when he was sitting on the shore and he was mending the net. He was taking something that was there originally and it's been broken through use or abuse and that's the ministry God has called my wife and I to. Have you lost something somewhere along the way? The other great thing about God is He is so good about just fixing it. You can just come to Him and, and he, just, he just fixes it. I, I don't, don't ask me for the theology. He just fixes it. He just fixes it. And one, 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 one service that... I preached on the prodigal son and they came to the closing of the service and people were standing and in the very back row was a young man and and I didn't know that much about his story but he'd been away from God for years and he'd been trying to find his way back and he really was making it harder than it should have been and and, and as we're closing he's back there and he started to cry and as I'm closing in prayer God told me that I'm, and this was back when I still had some religious clothing on. I had a suit coat on. And, and God told me to go back there and put my coat over his shoulders. So I walked back there and I, I just, I, it was the dumbest thing I think I've ever done. And I just, I just put it over his shoulders and he fell to the floor weeping. He later told me, he said, I was just standing back there praying. And I said, God, it isn't fair. The prodigal son knew he was welcomed home because the dad had put a robe on his shoulders. He said, where's my robe? I want you to know that God can fix stuff. And you know what's great? I don't even have to be able to explain it to him. I just, I just go back to the place. And I read these scriptures, and oftentimes my heart breaks because I've never met a Christian that has lost their way. That when you press them, they have no idea where they went bad. They can always tell you it was right there. Some of you this morning, you know where that place is. Listen, it'll never get any better until you go back there. You go back there and you see the blaze on the tree and you say, okay, God, Everything was okay with us here. Are you with me? 
He was the gentleman that attended our church. God had done the miraculous work in his life. The first time I'd met him was in my office when he reached into his coat jacket, pulled out a 357. Said, I'm here to tell you why I'm going to blow your brains out, and then I'm going to blow your brains out. What an interesting conversation opener. He didn't blow my brains out, just in case you didn't know. Some of you have wondered, but he didn't. He ended up giving his heart to the Lord sometime after that, and he was going after God, but something somewhere along the line, he, he, he lost the trail, and he started this pattern on a, in, in service saying, Pastor, something's wrong with my relationship with God, and I have no idea where it is. And I shared with him, I said, listen, just pray. God will show you. He doesn't play games. He'll show you where it's wrong and where you need to fix it. And weeks went on, and he kept, Pastor, I'm, I'm in testimonies. He said, I'm praying. God's not answering. I, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know why God would do that to me. And I noticed as I prayed and as services went on that there started to be a, an air of doubt because why wasn't God helping him? He'd come up for prayer and nothing happened. One evening he came up for prayer and I started to pray for him and God spoke to me a, a direct word and I, I leaned into his ear and I said, called him by name. I said, I'm going to talk straight with you for a moment. you got to stop the games with God. You know exactly where it went wrong. And it'll never get any better until you fix that. He said, I have no idea. I said, then let me tell you. You need to go home in the back of your closet, underneath the pile of stuff, to your purple shoe box with the magazines in it. And you need to get rid of those. I pulled back and I looked him in the eye. I said, are we clear now? He said, Crystal. You know what, folks? I love you. You know where. If you don't know, if any man lacks wisdom, lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Who gives it liberally? I've gotten off the trail more times than I can count. And I've never gone to God and said, where did I go wrong? Without him saying, son, right here. Anybody this morning just want to bring your there up to here and just talk to God about it? If everything is okay between you and God, if if everything is just flowing, if you're laying hands on the sick and see them recover, if you're casting out demons, if God's word is fresh in you, then, then I guess it's okay to stay back. But, but if there's something missing, if you want more than that, I want, to, I want to ask you to find a place on an altar this morning. Would you do that? Would you just come and, and just, just for, for a few moments, would you just take yourself back to there and repent of whatever you did there that got you here so that you can go back to there and get on the trail? You see, even right now, the, the enemy is just trying to hold people back and trying to tell them everything's okay, but it's not okay. It's not okay. He loves you. Some have already kneeling down where they're at. Maybe that's what you need to do is kneel down where you're at and pray. But I want to I ask you right now, right now, 
things aren't right, if you, you need to get back to that place, you know what the joy is when we, when we do that hiking? It's usually two or three days, and there's no maps. How do you make a map in the woods, you know? And, and, and numerous times we had to, to stop at a tree or go back to a blaze and, and reassess where we're at. What a joy it is. 30 miles later and three days later to step out of the woods at the very spot you were expecting to be. And you got there by nothing else than the occasional blaze. And my son and I will get there and we'll stop and the woods are behind us and there's a gas station or an old post office and we made it. Wow, and there's usually a hug and a euphoria like, you know, we had to adjust our, our path. We had to go back and reassess. But look it, we made it. We walked 30 miles through the wilderness and we came out to the very spot we were aiming at. You know what God wants that for you? Every one of you. Caitlin, for you. God has a purpose for you. An incredible purpose for you. God wants so badly to give that to you. He wants so badly for you to finally one day walk out of the wilderness and say, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Would you come and there's others that are already praying. Would you maybe come and find a place to pray? Would you do that? I I want some other people to come and just stand over these. And just would you pray a covering over them? For the mic, I know you're visiting, but you're always welcome around these altars. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. For more information, go to www.godenc.com.